This morning I want to start a series on the weapons of our warfare. And I want to preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. This is what the Bible says. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. From the dawn of time, we've had to fight for what is good and for what is right. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it's always going to be. We have to fight for what is good and right. Abraham fought for his family, for his friends, and for faith in God. Joseph had to fight his own, for his own life and for the leadership in e Egypt and for his family's salvation from the famine. Moses had to fight when he led a revolt that freed the nation from the Egyptian bondage. Joshua had to fight to possess the promised land. Gideon had to fight for his people against the Midianites. Samson fought to free the people from Philistine rule and control. David fought to free his nation. Nehemiah fought to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Daniel fought kings and physicians and lions to stand for his covenant with God. Jesus fought religion, the traditions of his day, to give us eternal salvation. Paul fought the Pharisees and the traditions of the day and even beasts to provide us with the word of God. Martin Luther fought corruption from the Catholic Church to bring salvation through faith. John Wesley had to fight the apathy of the day to bring a sense of revival and holiness to a very apathetic religious world. At the beginning of the 20th century, the Pentecostals had to fight uh, to obey the Scriptures. And so they could speak in tongues and exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Down through the years, we've had to fight for that which is good and right. For those of us who are experiencing a flow of the Spirit of God, it's not God giving us a wonderful spiritual party, but to equip us to go out and to fight for that which is right. Our God is a God of war. Our Bible is a book of battles. And the Christian life is a fight of faith. We have to fight for that which is good and right. People prefer to take the easy route. We don't like that which is uneasy. We don't like the fact that our God is a God of war that the Bible is a book of battles, that the Christian faith is a fight of faith. We don't particularly like that route. We like that which is cute and sweet and nice. But let me show you a few other scriptures about what the Bible says about fighting. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15 from 2 to verse 7. <laughs> this comes after the great deliverance of the Red Sea, 
where God parted the sea and the Israelites went through and the sea closed up and drowned a whole lot of Egyptians. And they composed a song. And then Moses and the sons of Israel sang a song to the Lord and it said, I sing a song to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. Ah, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. The right hand of the Lord is majestic in power. The right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy and the greatness of thine excellence. Thou dost overthrow those who rise up against thee. What a great passage. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 to 8, and let's read that. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot when it's planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I want to say to you, this is a time for war. This is a time where the church needs to enter into a war. No longer must it be a time where we are pulled back, we become, become uh, beautiful, wonderful, cute, sweet little lovebirds. This is a time where we need to become warriors. We need to get off the love boat and get onto a battleship. We need to have a time where we start to hate. <gasps> the pastor is telling us to hate. Hate what the devil is doing in the world. Hate seeing the incredible poverty that's taking place that starves and binds people. Nine million people die every year from starvation. And we talk about COVID. Yes, we hate the, 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 the disease that's oppressing people. We hate the things that are taking place in the world where we see people being bound by poverty. We need to start hating those things. And we need to get off that little... <laughs> love boat and get onto a battleship in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12 Jesus is saying this is a time that we need to stop our spiritual complacency and stop sitting around on our right rear posteriors <laughs> this is what he says and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violent and violent violence and violent men take it by force the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men take it by force. What does that verse actually mean? 
It means that the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing all the time, and violent men take it by force. Forceful men take it by force. I want to ask, have you gotten violent yet? Hmm. Have you decided to rise up with the God of war and take it by force? Jesus says from the day of John the Baptist until now, we need to actively be pursuing and being aggressive, spiritually ag aggressive for the kings of God. I mean, ultimately we have to ask, who's the attacker here? And a lot depends on our attitude and our framework here as we approach this thing. Is Satan the attacker and we're trying to defend ourselves constantly or are we the attackers and Satan needs to protect himself? If Jesus is the invader and if Jesus is the attacker, then Satan has to be consigned to the defensive. And we are the offensive soldiers taking territory. Moving ahead. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hell will not hold out against the move forward of the church. It won't withstand what the church is going to do. I've explained this before. English is a very strange language. And we see in English the word raise can mean to raise and to raise. Spelt differently. Our job as Christians is to raise hell. R-A-Z-E. Our job is to raise hell. The church is in existence for one thing, and that is to destroy to the ground the works of the devil. Our job is to see the devil and his dominion raised to the ground. We need to be hell raisers. This morning, we need to be raising a little bit of hell. One of the reasons, I mean, Brian started, why do we come to church? We come to church, hello, to raise a little bit of hell. Instead of coming into church, we should come leaning forward with our chin out, like the Springboks did yesterday. You know, like Eben Itzabeth. I want to chin your oaks. <laughs> and we need to come with a little bit more attitude. I'm going to come... I'm going to move forward because I'm going to raise some hell. I will build my church, says Jesus, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. All my life, previously I've been almost like on the defensive. You know, thank God. Thank God I'm on the rock. You know, and I'm all defensive and the gates of hell are not going to protect. I mean, listen, listen. I've never gone to community or I've never had people come to the front and have said to me, I need your prayers, Richard, because while I was coming here this morning, I was driving down the road and I saw a gate jump off its hinges and chase me down the road because it wanted to attack me. Gates don't do that. Just to let you know. 
I've never had a gate attack me. But more than once I've had a problem trying to get into the gate. And gates are attached to walls and walls are around families and walls are around neighborhoods and communities and walls are around cities and nations. And our job is to attack the gates. That's our job. Gates don't attack. <laughs> and, you know, just in the past, it's just like we're darling Christians longing for the rapture to get rid of this terrible <laughs> now and now and we look forward to the sweet by and by. <laughs> That's not what our Christian life is all about. We're called to change our communities. We're called to overcome the nonsense that's there. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. He's, going, he's saying, my church is going to be victorious. My church is going to be successful. I declare it. I affirm it. I determine it. Gates don't attack. They don't attack. And so we've got this wrong picture of the gates are going to attack a church. No, it's not. That's not what God has called us to do. I will build my church. Right now, we're the ones who are supposed to be on the offensive. And the devil and his dominion needs to be on the, def on the, uh, on the, offensive. We, uh, the defensive. We are offensive that devil is on the defensive. And I think that we need to get really, really forward here and become a church that is determined to destroy to the ground, to raise to the ground the evil that's taking place so that revival can begin to sweep the nations. As the waters cover the sea to the glory of God, that we see some Stuff beginning to happen. I mean, God's purpose is not to redeem a bunch of women and men who sit around on the rock in a protective way, but rather to be aggressive, to be forceful. We're not waiting for the bus to take us to, to, to heaven and, uh, and as we travel through the sky that things are going to get better and we're going to all get healed up and fixed up and we're going to arrive in heaven. No, that's not what it's about. God has called us to be people who are strong, who are courageous, who are filled with His Spirit, who are redeemed so that we can vindicate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ here on earth. We need to clean up the mess that's here. We are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And so we need to get a little bit aggressive. And the Lord is saying, I will build my church. He's saying, I'm going to bring my kingdom into being. And you, my people, are going to kick the gates of hell in. We don't have to be scared of the devil. But rather, the devil better be scared of us. I look at some of the old traditional hymns. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on as before. I mean, that's 
do, 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 onward, Christian. Off we go. But you know, we've changed that around, and our attitude is uh, each to war resigned. Oh, God, we've got war. With the cross of Jesus vaguely kept in mind. No. No. Come on. How about another one? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has loosed his fateful lightning and his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And there's another line that says, He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. I mean, some of those old hymns saw say it. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. Our job is to be one of offense. We on the offensive. The devil is the one who should be on the defense. So, weapons of warfare. I'm going to talk about two now. And then in the weeks to come, I'm going to talk about some other weapons that we use. And the first one is the word of God. Mm. In the face of every enemy attack, we can't say what we think or feel. We have to say what God says. What God says in his word. When the temptations of Jesus took place, he'd been out in the wilderness for 40 days. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And the devil comes to him. Comes to him probably in the greatest state of weakness that we could be in. He comes and he tempts Jesus. He experiences that onslaught of satanic attack. How does Jesus respond? With rhetoric? No. With his charismatic personality? No. With the power of his presence? No. With the wisdom of a keen mind? No. How does Jesus respond? He responds with the word of God. A temptation comes and Jesus says, It is written. And he gives the word of God. The word of God is an incredible sword. It is written. That's our sword. If Jesus did it, it's pretty foolish of us to do it any other way. Our keen wisdom. Or anything that we do from a carnal point of view. It's just crazy. Because the devil will just come to us and chew us up and eat us alive. The word of God is our sword and we need to use it. Unfortunately, there are many of us that have got a beautiful sword and it's kept in a beautiful leather sheet, but we never use it. Fight with the word. We don't fight with our feelings or our thoughts or our philosophy or our ideas or our traditions. We fight with the word of God. And that's what we base our lives on. We don't base our lives on our experience or our feelings, because all that the devil needs to do is he needs to throw us a few negative experiences and we're toast. We base our lives on God's incredible word all the time. And the knowledge of God's word brings enlightenment. Satan's greatest, greatest power lies in the ignorance of God's people. 
as to their position in Jesus Christ and as to the power of the indwelling Christ that's inside of us. Keep us ignorant. Keep us away from the Word of God. And then He's able to defeat us. But we need to equip ourselves with God's Word. The first song that we sang about the promises of God. You know, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible that cover all, all the circumstances that you'll ever face. 7,000. And we can receive all of those promises and all of those blessings pertaining to life and godliness through those promises. Two men were walking down the road. One was a pastor and one was a soap manufacturer. The soap manufacturer was an atheist. And as they were talking, the atheist was saying, you know, the gospel, it doesn't have an impact at all. It hasn't changed people's lives. In actual fact, the church today is totally insignificant. The pastor didn't say anything. They continued walking. They walked past the garden and there were children playing. They were playing in the dirt. They put a little bit of water in the mud and made mud and sand and made mud. And they were dirty. And the pastor said, you're a soap manufacturer. I don't believe soap has made any good because look at all the dirty people and all the dirty children that are still here. And the sub-manufacturer, the atheist, said, it's only good when it's applied. And the pastor said, and so it is with Christianity. It's only good when it is applied. You know, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says, in James chapter 1 and verse 22, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers. For those who think that hearing is enough, deceive themselves. The Living Bible says, remember, this is a message to obey, not just to listen to, so don't fool yourselves. You know, James is saying that a person who goes to church and who listens, you think this is going to be good enough for you, for your spiritual and religious conscience for the week? No. You know, somebody asked a pastor why he was so successful, why his church was so good and great and well known he said because i preached the word of god and during the week my people put it into practice the word of god is there to do the christian life is much more than going to church it's even much more than regularly reading the bible it actually is putting it into practice And I really believe that God wants to mobilize his people. Not to sit in the grandstand, not to sit behind masks and watch, but to actually put the word of God into practice. When Henry Stanley in Africa many years ago met David Livingston, he was a man who didn't believe. But being with Livingston for a while began to change his life. And this is what he said years later. He said, Livingston made me a Christian 
and he never knew that he was doing it. It was Livingston's, it wasn't Livingston's preaching that converted me. It was Livingston's living. It was Livingston's living. It's very difficult for others to not be moved by a Christian who is just consistently living the gospel. People watch us. People are looking at us all the time. Looking for loopholes. You're a Christian. But if we're consistently living the word, I think it has a huge impact. Robert Ingersoll, during the end of the 19th century, he was known as the great um, agnostic. Spoke, outspoken against Christianity. Some people even regarded him as a, an atheist. He wrote many books against the Christian faith. And he had a, an aunt, Aunt Sarah, who lived on the other side of the United States, who was a wonderful Christian. And one day she received in the post a book from her nephew, Robert. And in the book, he slated the Christian faith. But as she opened the front cover, he had written in his own handwriting these words, If all Christians lived like Aunt Sarah, perhaps this book would never have been written. Wow. Our job is to live the Word of God. To know the Word of God, to speak the Word of God, and to live the Word of God. The second one is prayer. That's a huge, huge weapon. That's one of the great keys of victory. If there's anything that the evil one wants us to do is to neglect prayer. However dynamic your church is, however dynamic the worship is, however dynamic the preaching is, the fellowship, if we neglect prayer, we're neglecting the biggest part. Prayer is fellowship and friendship with God. It's experiencing His presence. It's more about relationship than about anything else. But we, as soldiers of the Lord, need to learn how to pray. We need to learn that we get power from on high when we are on our knees. Andrew Murray said this, By prayer we hold a hand that holds the destiny of the earth. And as we pray, we ought to be shaping history. Satan fears prayer more than anything else. It is the greatest spiritual force on earth. He'll do anything to hinder us, to discourage us, to sidetrack us from prayer. A survey was once done, and the survey asked, what is the top teaching required for believers? And the response came back, to be taught how to pray. Do you know, I've looked through the Gospels. There's only one thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Only thing. 
he asked the Lord. They asked the Lord. They had watched his life and they had seen him pray. Before any miracle that took place, any wonderful teaching that took place, any outpouring of power, they saw him pray. And Jesus wasn't only setting a good example. They knew that Jesus prayed because it made a difference in his life. Spending time with the Lord makes us spiritually alive. Opens the door to a whole new world and a whole new dimension. Of an awesome and a living God. Where we begin to see things happen. If we don't pray, we're not ever going to see that. And Satan will do his utmost to prevent us from prayer. You know, Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 lists the six different areas of um, uh, armor, spiritual armor. Helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes to share, share, the good news, share the good news, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. And he sums up all of those uh, pieces of armor, and he says in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You see, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, are ineffective without prayer. They have no power. And God teaches us to hold fast to those things through prayer. We have a supernatural God. And I think that when we ask big things of God, we pay God a huge compliment because he's saying, you're our big partner, Lord. Come into the situation we want to see you move. When we begin to pray, we begin to say, I must decrease, but you must increase. It's not about us. It's not our, about our own creativity and our own ingenuity. It's about his incredible ability. So as we start this series on spiritual warfare, I want to say to you, it's a time not to slow down, but a time to start to accelerate. It's a time... To not to stop witnessing, but a time to witness more. It's a time to not publish books, to, but rather write more articles and more books and read more. It's not a time to soften our proclamation, but a time to proclaim with greater authority the awesomeness of our God. It's a time for the righteous not to be timid, but a time for us to be bold. It's a time for us not only to listen to the word of God, but to listen and to obey and to make sure that we put it into action. This is not a time to back off. This is a time to move forward. If you want what is good and right, we have to fight for it. Our God is a God of war. The Bible is a book of battles, and the Christian life is a fight of faith. Amen.